Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. I am very lucky to welcome my guest, Mr. Jeremy Epstein. Jeremy is the founder of Mesh Energy Consulting, a Colorado-based consultancy focused on developing financing solutions for clean energy projects and providing greenhouse gas accounting, management, and market access advisory services. He also owns Puffer Print, a carbon neutral book printing company for self-published authors. Jeremy, thank you so much for being on Changing the Climate. Thanks for having me, Ethan. It's honestly an absolute pleasure. And as I'm saying in the last few weeks, I love this show now. It's always a blast. And I love to get started by getting a little bit of background on who you are and what you do. Sure thing. Well, I'm a 30-something living in the same town as you, Ethan. I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, I've got two kids here at home and uh, yeah, a couple businesses that I run. So those businesses are, as you mentioned, Mesh Energy Consulting and Puffer Print. So I spent uh, the last 10 years working in the intersection of uh, finance and clean energy. So um, it was actually a, a number of roles within that. I worked in the local government. So I was actually with Boulder County for a number of years when they got their they had a $25 million grant back in 2010. So I was one of the employees they hired to sort of ramp up and essentially spend, uh, spend that federal money and, and develop programs like uh, Energy Smart that we still have today here. Um, part of that role, I actually also developed a partnership with a local credit union, Elevations Credit Union, which is kind of like the That's big name credit union here in, in Boulder County. So we developed uh, what's called the Elevations Energy Loan. Um, lower interest financing for qualified clean energy upgrades. Um, and so never actually thought I'd be a finance guy, but kind of enjoyed that work. Uh, ended up leaving the county just because public sector was a little too slow for, for me. Um, I like to see things move quickly when I can. Uh, that doesn't happen in the public sector. So uh, yeah, took that clean energy finance knowledge, went and worked with a boutique consulting firm uh, known as Harcourt Brown & Carey. And there we uh, consulted to the Department of Energy, a bunch of state agencies, mostly energy offices throughout the country. Uh, and we also worked with the financial sector to help them launch uh, similar clean energy financing products, uh, essentially to help homes uh, and businesses to, to upgrade their equipment, um, whether that be HVAC or um, even uh, solar, um, and, and to do so by offering low interest financing that helped uh, you know, reduce the upfront cost barrier and also help them pay for it over time, hopefully through the energy cost savings that they were assuming. So we did that for a number of years. Um, the consulting thing uh, is, is, you know, heavy on uh, certain activities that weren't just the best fit for me. I kind of wanted to get into more of an entrepreneurial role. So we actually took our knowledge from the consultancy and built a product out of it. Uh, that product essentially was an online brokerage uh, software for project developers in the clean energy space. Okay. Those uh, project developers, call them contractors, sometimes they're project developers who hire contractors, but people who are proposing projects to improve the energy consumption in the built environment would log on to this. Uh, the belt environment? Space. Say what? You say the belt environment? The, the built environment, so built. buildings, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
and they could essentially, you know, this is a, a $150,000 lighting upgrade and it's going to save X in as far as uh, energy consumption. Here are the rebates. Here's the state. Here's, you know, a bunch of information we would ask. And then basically on the back end, this software would, would run an algorithm, look at a bunch of different interest rates from a bunch of different lenders and put together a financing proposal for that project developer that they could then put together as part of their proposal package um, to help them sell their projects with financing. So that, that still exists and runs today. That's uh, actually now uh, considered the commercial division of the National Energy Improvement Fund, uh, okay. NEIF, I think it's .com, could be .org. Um, and so I was, I was managing the commercial division for a couple of years. Last year, just before COVID hit, I decided, uh, you know, ultimately I need to work for myself. Um, and that's just who I am. Um, it took me a while. I'm, I'm 38 and it took me a while to, to sort of come to that realization. But man, I am, I'm a happy guy being my own boss. Um, and, it and it'll just keep getting better. It'll, it'll keep getting more difficult, but it'll keep getting better. Well, that's the thing. And it's a bit of a, a sidetrack, but uh, I love tangents. So um, Let's yeah, do it. I, I, work, I work harder than I ever have, and I enjoy it more than I ever have. So the, the, the work doesn't wear me out nearly as much as it did because uh, mm-hmm. I, I know I'm doing it for my own self-benefit. So any of you out there thinking of going into business for yourself, I say do it. Uh, just the motivation is now intrinsic, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. I'm curious what your time allocation looks like as far as mesh versus um, versus puffer. It's a great question. Um, it, it varies week to week. Uh, when COVID hit, it's actually a great segue as well. So when COVID hit uh, and I launched these two companies, uh, I thought puffer would be sort of a side hustle. I'd be doing this, I mean, an hour or two in the evenings uh, just for fun, bring a you know a client here and there, and you know a little extra cash. Um, and that was how I ran it for the first three or four months because I actually had mesh had gotten two contracts pretty quickly. One, uh, sort of helping a, uh, nonprofit write a very large grant proposal to support solar deployment in, uh, in the Appalachian, uh, us area. So I was working on that. And then I was working on sort of my dream project. I mean, I've got a master's in, in greenhouse gas accounting. Um, and carbon markets. So this was the type of work that I'd been hoping to do ever since, you know, my, my master's degree in 2005 or six, I, I suppose. Um, and yeah, it was great. So for three or four months, I was pretty heavy on that. Um, so that sort of started me on, on my journey towards this, this passion for carbon removal, which uh, I hope I'm to talk to, talk to you about. Definitely. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's the trillion dollar opportunity that, that not enough people know about. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to get into that now because I've heard mixed things. I've heard like some people say that, that carbon sequestration is not possible. So I, I'm not really, I don't really understand. I think the idea is pulling carbon out of the atmosphere so the parts per million goes down. I know we talked about this a lot last week, so I'd love to get into this discussion just right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, so let's talk about sort of the, the numbers real quick. So the average human on earth today puts a, a pound of garbage in, you know, into basically a, a landfill every day. We put 31 pounds of garbage into the atmosphere. So 31 times as much trash is going into our thin atmosphere and it stays up there. And we've been doing that since industrialization. Of course, the, the, the pound per person has been going up, unfortunately. 
Um, I like to use a, a, a credit card analogy. So there's kind of like two paths to improving our, our, our climate change situation, right? There's mm -hmm. decarbonizing our economy, which is going to basically stopping the use of, of fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's through renewable energy and, and you know, our, our economy is, global economy is about $86 trillion. 10% of that is energy. So $8.6 trillion we spend on energy as, as a globe. Not as uh, much as I, was expect, I would expect. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's, it's, still it's not a small number either. Um, so we're slowly transitioning that and the, the cost curve for, you know, solar has gone down to where now, you know, we are at an all time low. Uh, solar is the cheapest kilowatt hour that humans have ever made, right? Beautiful. So we're in a Thank beautiful, great that. place. You know, the, the difference between, uh, you know, a, uh, a new solar plant and a, uh, a new fossil fuel burning plant really comes down to the interest rate uh, more so than the cost of deploying. And ultimately, you know, that we've, we've reached that point where it's sort of the long tail, like the, the solar can't really come down that much more in cost. It's mm -hmm. kind of come down exponentially over the last 20 years and that's fantastic. So that's what we need to happen in other sectors. So going back to this credit card analogy. So our atmosphere is our, basically our credit debt. Um, so right. we need to get to, let's say we need to get to zero. We don't want any credit debt in, in our account, right? Um, borrowing and, from our future selves. Yeah, we're borrowing from our future selves. And the cost to remove that carbon just gets more and more expensive as, as time goes on. So, you know, again, it's, the analogy is great because, you know, with, with credit debt you spend now, it's going to cost you more to pay for that stuff later because you're, you're, you're going to pay the interest rates. Oh, well. I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, so, yeah, so <clears throat> we got to stop using the card, right? We got to start, char stop charging on it and stop putting carbon into the atmosphere, stop putting money into, uh, you know, st stop increasing our, our credit debt, right? That's, yeah. that's the carbon that's in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. But right now the, the carbon we burn today, I mean, that's, that's going to be persistent and, you know, for, for, for 10 De plus decades. Years. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but we still have to start making payments. We still need to start paying down our debt. And that's mm -hmm. basically the analogy of, we still need to start grabbing carbon out of the atmosphere and, and removing it, right? Finding a place to store it. That could be stored in one of two, two key arenas, right? So we can sequester it, put it underground, and that is possible, we can get into that. Okay. Um, and it can be utilized. So it can be put into products and things that we humans need. I mean, most of the things that we use are carbon-based, so actually there's quite a bit of opportunities there. The ways that we pull that carbon out of the atmosphere, or going back to the analogy, the way that we start paying down our, our carbon credit card debt, um, there's sort of multifarious directions and, and pathways that we could go. I'm a generalist, you know, shotgun approach, more shots on goal are better. Sure. Um, so there's sort of technology-based approaches, direct air capture kind of being like the poster child there. There's yep. nature-based approaches, Trees. reforestation, coastal blue carbon. And then there's sort of these hybrid approaches, which are like um, enhanced weathering, where you're taking certain kinds of rock that actually can absorb carbon dioxide, crushing it out, putting it on beaches. So you're using a mixture of technology and, uh, and, and you know, natural pathways. So this, this crushed up rock, you could lay it out on a large surface area and it will actually pull carbon out of the atmosphere and into the, the soil or something? 
or the sand? Yeah, so there's essentially that's correct. The the, the mineral is called olivine, mm-hmm. um, so it makes up 25% of the Earth's upper crust. Uh, so it's not you know it's not a rare or, or precious earth metal or earth mineral. Um, there's a lot of it. It's green, um, uh, which is interesting because the idea is that it'll be mined. So we have we have mining equipment, like all that infrastructure is already built out, um, taken, crushed up into a certain granule size, mm-hmm. and then spread on a beach. And then it'll use the wave action of that beach to Whoa. further weather and expose new surfaces as as waves do, which is why you have sand on beaches, right? Yep. It goes from big rocks to small rocks. And so you're doing the same thing. Every time that big rock becomes a little bit smaller, there's a new little bit of surface area, which now has the capacity to bind to atmospheric carbon. It has the dual benefit of actually alkalinizing the the uh, ocean area around it. And so we have we have this problem where the oceans are becoming acidic uh, because they're absorbing too much carbon dioxide. So mm-hmm. it has this beautiful secondary uh, benefit to it as well. Look up um, a company that's doing a lot of work in this area, sort of the, the company to look at, I would say, is Project Vesta, V-E-S-T-A. And they are, um, I think they may be a .org. Um, they're actually a nonprofit. Um, so their business model, if you will, for a nonprofit is they want to, and they're, they're actually undergoing a pilot right now somewhere in the Caribbean. I don't think they're actually able to disclose the location, um, but they want to run these pilots um, and basically collect enough data on, you know, not only is, is this not going to negatively affect the surrounding ecosystem, because that's going to be a big concern if you're dumping a bunch of new rocks on a beach, yep. um, but also like, how do we measure the carbon that, you know, is, is removed from the atmosphere? Um, and so they're running these pilots just trying to say, okay, here's, here's the data, here's how this works. Ultimately, if that data becomes robust enough, you know, you can create a, a market um, instrument out of this, right? So this can be something that can be bought and sold as, uh, you know, a, a carbon offset uh, activity. On, Sounds on great. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's one of many interesting uh, things that, that people are looking into. Have you found one to be most promising? Depends on who you ask. If you're, if you're asking me, um, I'm asking you. Yeah. I, well, here's, here's what people say. And then here's what I'd say. Um, there are many people who believe that direct air capture DAC direct air capture is sort of the most promising pathway because it's not really dependent on a certain, number of conditions um so with the waves right you, you with the with the coastal enhanced weathering the, the the olivine on the beaches you need a beach um and you know there's all these tests on okay how much how much is this going to sequester and is the rock near the beach um there's another pathway called bioenergy with carbon capture and storage or bex um the ipcc is pretty bullish on that. Um, the IPCC, by the way, that is, is backs up what I'm, what I'm telling you. So this is, that was my first like entree to this was like, Oh, I read the IPCC 2018 report and it was like, we no longer can maintain a safe climate for humanity just by reducing our carbon emissions. Right. I should have said this from the beginning, but yeah, we now need to figure out how to pull it out of the atmosphere. So and don't would take you it from just... me, take it from the international final panel on climate change. Facts. Would you mind just, because I'm such a simpleton, what, what is bioenergy? Is that going to take a long time to explain? or No. Bioenergy is plants. 
Okay. It's plants or algae. I mean, anything bio, so anything alive that pulls carbon out of the air, which is. So how would that. Any sort of plants or algae matter. How does that create energy? And it pulls. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. All right. So you, I, we're going on a tangent and I want to do it. Just you can pull me back to wherever we were before. Bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, right? So um, basically the idea is plants, you know, certain, certain types of plants uh, will sequester carbon, basically will grow faster. Um, so planting a forest, right? Those trees are gonna grow. Trees are made of carbon. They pull that carbon from the atmosphere, right? Mm -hmm. So there's the, there's the, there's the bio. Um, to create the energy, you take that organic matter and you burn it. Um, when you burn organic matter, you're gonna get energy, you're gonna get, you're gonna get heat. Um, the way you burn it, you can also get uh, synthetic gases that are combustible fuels. Um, and you can also capture potentially the, um, the carbon dioxide that is sort of the, the uh, byproduct of that combustion. And so if you take that carbon dioxide, then what do you do with it? Which is kind of like the big question for all of this is well, yeah. where, are you, where are you gonna put it? You can put it underground um, and that is a, a viable pathway um, mm -hmm. that is being done currently. Um, California actually has a 45Q tax credit uh, based around this. Um, without getting into the tax credits. So you can put it underground uh, in stable places um, and it can bind with the surrounding, it binds with the surrounding underground rock and, and remains there underground. You know, we haven't been doing this for long enough to really know, does it stay down there forever? But for right. all intents and purposes, I would say most science, scientists are in agreement that it, it looks promising that it's not gonna, it's not gonna come out. Okay. Um, Scientists, I think, are by nature conservative with, with those types of assumptions. Fair enough. Uh, and so what else can you do with, with this carbon once you sequester it, or once you, once you have it sort of in a, in a jar, so to speak? Yep. Uh, you can put it into materials, right? So mm -hmm. like plastics. Um, plastics. Uh, obviously, you know, our, our, our world has a heavy reliance on plastics. Uh, plastics are carbon-based, right? They're, they're fossil. Currently, the carbon comes from fossil fuels, but there are companies out there working on it. I think this is like, man, if you, if you crack this nut, you, that's a huge market to, to start creating plastics out of uh, sequestered carbon. Yeah. Uh, but isn't that leading to like another problem of like now it's like all out there in like physical form rather than like gaseous? It already is. Yeah, but that, that's like more. Oh, you're saying in, instead of, yeah, yeah, instead of using new oil and fossil fuels to make plastic, we use the ones we've already, yeah, okay, so it's, it's yeah, it's, it doesn't It's add. almost a form of recycling, yeah. Right, 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 right. right. We've already yeah. used it, we've already put it up in the atmosphere, now we're going to pull it out and put it into something that is going to offset the, the need to pull it out of the ground and yeah. form fossil fuels. We need to leave so the not. fossil fuels in the ground. Yeah. Um, so there's, right. yeah, go ahead. So we've, yeah, we've talked about the, the, Rocks on the on the beach. Now we've talked about biofuel carbon mix. What exactly was yeah, that? Bioenergy with carbon capture and storage. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then the, you're saying a lot of people are very compelled by direct air capture. Yeah. So let's get let's get back to that. So Correct. first, why are people maybe less bullish on bioenergy with carbon capture storage? The pundits and and maybe for the same reasons that 
um, forestry-based offsets, so planting forests or avoided deforestation are, are issues on today's like, sort of standard carbon offset markets, um, are issues of, say, permanence and, and leakage. So, uh, and, and vintage. So let's, let's just talk about those real quick and then we'll go back to why di direct air capture kind of nips all those in the bud. Um, vintage, right? So if I plant a tree now, it's not going to reach its sort of maximum, uh, you know, carbon pulling uh, potential for another couple of decades, mm -hmm. right? And we need, we need to start pulling carbon now. Um, if you plant a forest, uh, let's talk about uh, Permanence, right? Permanence you need to protect that forest for at least 30 or 40 years or whatever you have basically claimed on this, you know, in a, as a carbon offset or on a carbon marketplace, whatever you have claimed that that will sequester and how long it's going to take to sequester that amount. If that forest gets cut down, land use changes, uh, perhaps, or, you know, the government says, you know, we need this land for, we're going to put a road through it, you know, eminent domain there are questions of permanence, right? So does mm -hmm. that stand continue to, to stand, right? Does is, is that continue to sequester carbon into the future as uh, advertised at the outset? Um, and then leakage. So let's say we're gonna protect this 100 acres of forest over here in, in, in Nicaragua, and we're gonna create a, you know, a, a carbon offset uh, around that and, and sell that on, on a market. Um, let's say right over the border in the next, uh, in the next state, um, people are saying, well, hey, that, that, that 100 acres of forest is no longer available, but this one is not protected. They didn't figure out how to protect this one. We're going to chop this one down instead. That's leakage. So basically, like yep. the problem over here becomes now the problem over right, there. Right, right. Um, so you run into all these sort of issues that make uh, you know, your typical carbon offset or a lot of these nature-based solutions potentially a little less robust. Less compelling. Whereas looking at direct air capture, if you have a machine, and this is what it is, it's a machine, sucks air through it and binds with the carbon dioxide molecules in there. Amazing. Um, and puts those somewhere, right? And that, again, that's like, okay, you can put it in a material, you can put it underground, puts it somewhere. If, if your machine does this, it's, it's pretty verifiable, like, okay, that's, that's it, the carbon's out, it's gone, and it's not coming back into the atmosphere. Um, and so direct air capture to me is, is quite promising. Um, yeah. I, I just, I think we risk um, sort of forgetting the buckshot or as many shots on goal as possible approach if we get too wrapped up in a single solution. I just don't mm, think we're okay. at a point where we can bet all of our money on one horse right now. Um, I, I don't, and yeah, no, we, we definitely can't. And I, I just w did this event this week with this like climate simulator. It's like en roads climate simulator. And it's like all these different like dials you can change. And it's like the only way to get us below even like two degrees C is to like change everything. <laughs> so right, one solution is right. definitely not going to do it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the, the climate, it, it's often signified like by, by pie or, or the wedge, you know, the, the sort of, I think it's the Yale like wedge model where like there's all these little tiny wedges within the wedge. Each one is a different activity. It's reforestation, it's energy efficiency. It's, so I, I advocate all, any and all approaches. Um, yeah. Of the whole carbon removal space. Say, hey, but you know, that's, that's just cheating because now we're going to stop looking at, you know, energy efficiency 
and stop looking at renewables and, and stop paying it, you know, no, we, we don't we have time to stop. It's anyone. not an either or. This isn't yeah. a, a binary choice. Um, we, we need to keep focus on, on both. But right now, uh, you know, I think people are perhaps far too focused on, uh, on the energy efficiency, on sort of decarbonizing the economy and less focused on this just as necessary but less known world of, of removing carbon from the atmosphere. What, what do you think of the, the carbon engineering model where they pull it and then they sell it as fuel to be reburned? I mean, then, then you're net neutral. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think we need to stop burning carbon-based fuels. Right. Um, you know, with, with battery technology and, you know, the cheap solar kilowatt hour, I, I think that that's wholly viable. Um, Fair enough. Of the barriers to renewable energy implementation are, are technological, right? It's all, it's either, you know, financing or it's uh, regulatory. Uh, well, we just need to deploy things faster. I'd love, I'd yeah. love to talk, talk about that then. That's because you do a lot of work with financing these clean energy projects. I'm wondering if that must be very challenging because everyone's competing for financing. Um, I mean, I guess because of that reason, maybe it's, it's not, it's not so challenging. Fair enough. Uh, um, you know, BlackRock, who obviously a, a, a big, uh, big player in the, in the finance world, you know, they've, they, I think it was 2019, their, their CEO first put out like the, we need to consider sustainability and climate in, in, in everything we do. Um, and that, that sort of sent shockwaves through the financial industry where I think people are starting to look at this and, and you know, now have their own uh, climate and, and ESG, uh, environmental social governments departments and, uh, you know, ESG, environmental social government to, uh, investing, I think, is now going to make up like 60% of all investments by 2025. I was just looking at an article this morning. Um, so, yeah, the financial world is is fortunately waking up to this, and they they're seeing um, you know renewables as a fantastic investment. You know, um, renewables are now to the point where they're not you know no no venture capitalist is going to put their money at this point into solar projects, right? Or companies that are, that are doing solar for the most part, unless they're doing something radically and incredibly new because the cost of the implementation and, and sort of adoption is sort of out there. So now the returns are sort of the, the domain of, of, of rich old people and, and, and investors, um, you know, more institutional type investors who are okay with slow and steady returns. Um, but that's because you know now the interest rates have, have gotten driven down and um, you can get much less expensive money for renewable energy projects than, than you once could, uh, which, which is a good thing. It's a sign of a, of a more mature market. Is there a lot of government funding in this space as well? Um, there could be more. I mean, I, currently there's not nearly enough. Um, I think Biden's $2 trillion climate plan will, will help. Uh, cool man able to assume uh the the seat that that he was elected for and <laughs> <laughs> we'll just let, let that comment slide by i won't go there we'll, we'll brush um, over that yeah uh so yeah is there government money in it yes does there need to be more yes uh going back to carbon rule i mean we're still at the point where we do need help with some of these more hardware-based solutions like new methods of direct air capture and 
Um, there's a company um, you know, called Heliogen, uh, Bill Gross and Bill Gates, I think are both big investors in that. Those are solar collectors. So basically big mirrors pointed at a central tower that are heating up a, a molten salt solution. Um, and that basically, that heat in that molten salt runs uh, turbines that create energy all day. Um, wow. So, um, you know, those types of things don't get off the ground and don't get to full scale commercial implementation without massive amounts of, of cash. So, you know, if, if I've got a new invention um, or a, a new method that is, you know, relatively equipment heavy to remove carbon from the atmosphere, um, there's a lot of a lot of costs. So you got to go out and raise a ton of money. Um, so there are, you know, Department of Energy does run um, funding opportunity announcements in, in this world. They're called FOAs, uh, I think once or twice a year. Uh, sometimes they are in the carbon removal space. And I, I expect that that type of thing will probably and hopefully ramp up under the new Biden climate administration, which thank goodness we're going to have a climate administration coming up. Jeez, well overdue. Yeah, indeed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's these these hardware-based solutions are are expensive, and there's something called the commercialization valley of death, which is basically a financing gap from, okay, we've you know we've spent fifty thousand dollars, or we got a fifty thousand dollar grant, we built a small scale, um, you know, uh, pilot project of of our of our machine, you know, that that does X, Y, and Z, um, but now we need to commercialize, we need to go to market with it, and this machine that we've you know, proven at small scale needs to be 10 times bigger. And, you know, who's really going to invest in this unless we've proven ourselves at, at commercial scale. So there's a funding gap there. And I think that is the role for federal or any government entity is to help fill in where the markets really are, you know, leaving gaps and, and where we're not seeing the things that we want to see in this world be, be developed because of, of market failures. Um, so I hope to see more of that, uh, in the future, because uh, that's, that's a real issue. I think there's a lot of promising technologies just kind of waiting for that, like $50 million infusion to kind of prove their technology at scale and, you know, and then they're off to the races. Yeah. And I, I think we need to get the people to talk. Cause I, I feel like stuff like this, the podcasts and like having just lots of people be very vocal about what's going on. We're talking about something that's it's, it's very confusing. There's too many things going on. There's putting out carbon, there's taking in carbon, there's using plastic, there's all these different things. And it's like, how can we get someone who, who doesn't feel like educated about this to go out and then promote? Because once everyone in the US is, is thinking about climate change all the time and really truly realize how important it is to act right now, you know, the government will start acting and these things will happen. So I'm just starting to lean towards as far as my impact, but I think generally the, the biggest way to make a change is to just talk, 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 because then the truth will come out, you know, and then and then action will come. But we need it like today, right now. <laughs> totally agreed. And you know, I, I again, I worked for a, over a decade in in the sort of energy efficiency and renewable energy space, and so many of the people that that I worked with still don't couldn't tell you what carbon removal is or or what what does the International Panel on Climate Change say about it. Uh, and what they say is it's absolutely a necessity. Um, you know, for years, definitely, we've been so focused on you know reducing the operating costs of of the built environment, right? So, so commercial and, and residential buildings. Um, but it turns out 
Um, and this just hasn't really become like part of the, the public knowledge until more recently. Turns out that, you know, the lifetime emissions associated with the building, 50% um, of those are baked in as soon as it's built, mm -hmm. right? The rest of the emissions come from, you know, running the HVAC, running the lights, all the energy that it, that it consumes. But that's, on, you know, energy efficiency, reducing the, the um, energy consumption of the building by 10%. That actually only might reduce the total lifetime emissions of the building by 5% because 50%, half of those buildings emissions are baked in from day one because of the embodied carbon of the materials used to build that building. So the concrete is a big one, the, the, uh, the, the drywall. I mean, everything that goes into it, that all has embodied emissions that are, that are used to, to create it. Um, right. If I may, the concrete thing, um, worth mentioning. So this is a very promising um, way to sequester carbon as well. Um, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Concrete is, is this is, this is cool. This all, this blew my mind when I first heard it. Concrete is the second most utilized substance on earth after water. So yeah. yeah, let that sink in. That's very heavily used substance. So basically our entire human built world is based on concrete, which uh, is made out of what? which is made essentially limestone is the, the building block. Okay. Uh, Rock. So very, very common, you know, mineral on earth, CaCO3. Um, and um, limestone or concrete is made by taking that, that CaCO3 and breaking off one of those CO molecules. So then you've got a, a carbon molecule and you've got, uh, I think it's CaCO2 is the, genetic or sorry, the, genetic, <laughs> the chemical um, makeup of, of concrete. Science. Um, so because there's so much volume of this in the world and, and also interestingly, it has to, it has to be produced. Basically it's a, it's a local product everywhere it is because it really can't travel. It's so heavy. It's so heavy. It's so heavy. Yeah. Um, and it basically, if it doesn't get poured in, in about two hours, it's, it doesn't work, right? So that, because of that, you look at maps of like concrete producers in the, in the US and they're everywhere. They're everywhere mm -hmm. that people are, they have to be. Um, and so there's really great opportunities, especially for, I would say local governments to support what are called low or, or carbon negative concrete producers. Um, so it is possible. Uh, and there are companies, uh, Carbon Cure being one off the top of my head that uh, are making um, carbon negative concrete. So they found a way to take and enhance the carbon, uh, the amount of carbon that is in the, the concrete that's being made. And then actually has the effect of making it cheaper because it reduces more expensive fillers that are put into the carbon or sorry, put into the concrete. It also makes it more durable um, for, for whatever reasons that additional carbon content um, according to these companies is, is making it uh, a more durable, uh, stronger product. So it's sort of a win-win. Um, I expect we're going to see a lot more in this space. Um, and because again, the second most used substance on earth, there's, there's a lot of space to, uh, to put this carbon that, you know, we need to pull out of the air. Um, and that's, we need to think about where do we put it all? It's, it's a lot. Um, and, it, yeah, I, we don't have any slides today, but there's some great no visuals out there of like, you know, here's the amount of carbon we need to pull out of the air every day for the next, you know, 50 years. And it's like, it's like the flat irons. Yeah. 
it, it like it looks like a mountain the size of the Flatirons uh, in, in Boulder, Colorado. If you're watching this from somewhere else, so yeah, uh, it's a lot. It seems like the ground is a good solution because it's huge and it does that's what happens naturally in the carbon cycle is it not carbon eventually ends up in the ground and now what we're doing is pulling it back out and that's yeah, where we're starting to or, or the ocean floor and we've made a lot of space for it in the ground because we've been pulling yep know, the fossil carbons out of there so that's actually a, you know <clears throat> we've been you know the people have been injecting carbon into the ground as a way to actually push oil out. And of course that doesn't really get us anywhere. Um, but you know, huh. that is one thing that's at least for, if you're looking for a, uh, an activity that's got some bipartisan support, um, that's, that's been one is, is sort of that injecting the carbon into the ground to push the fossil fuels out. But again, that's, that's not a net negative, uh, activity. That's a, it's a sort of a net neutral carbon activity. So, uh, I don't think that that's got a whole lot of legs as far as meeting the, the climate goals that we need, but yeah. yeah, underground and, and whatever products we can start to produce out of sequestered carbon. I think there's just incredible opportunity. This is the biggest opportunity for entrepreneurs of our generation or any generation. This is the internet in, in 96 times 50. This is a multi-trillion dollar opportunity. So, I mean, if, that's why I'm excited about it. Um, that's why I run, I run a, a regular um, Slack channel through a group called Air Miners. Yeah. Air Miners is basically a, I don't know, I'll call it a support group, but like a, a networking group online space. It's all through Slack. Um, you can go to uh, Air Miners, I believe it's .org uh, online and, and get yourself invited to the Slack channel. Air Miners. Yeah. So we're mining the air, right? We've been mining the ground for carbon for years. Now we need to mine the air, right? Hell yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a cool analogy and it's, it's not just analogy. It's, it's literally what we're doing. We just need to point the mining up into the sky as opposed to underground um, and mine the stuff that we've, we've been dumping up there for, for decades. Um, so yeah, through air miners, I run a channel on that Slack uh, community called Business Model Lab. I was, yeah, was going to get into Model that. Lab, yeah, we, we aim to really inspire people um, to go out and start businesses and, and to be entrepreneurs. And we do that just by like, you know, talking to existing entrepreneurs, people in the startup space, people who have unique uh, viewpoints and vantage points on certain markets say, all right, here's something interesting going on with biochar, or here's something interesting going on with, you know, this guy wrote a, a snippet of uh, software code that will, you know, basically allow e-commerce companies to uh, calculate and, and offset their emissions as the sale happens on their on their website. So all sorts of, I mean, there there are limitless businesses and business opportunities um, associated with this. It's not like you have to go out and invent the next direct direct air capture iteration. You can you know you can be a, a climate entrepreneur by you know figuring out how to uh, how to truck olivine sand onto beaches or right. how to be uh, you know how to create websites that have sort of a, a carbon neutral code embedded in them um, there's anyone can be a climate entrepreneur um, you just have to figure out what's your angle and and use your own expertise to you know bring the, the, the climate part into it I, I couldn't agree more and I think that's exactly right and I think there's a lot of room 
in this space that we're quite literally in right now, just having discussions around climate and increasing climate communications. You could start a, a TV network or start a podcast or do something to inspire communication. And then the whole monetization thing comes in. But yeah, I'm curious. So, so you just started these businesses last year. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And you said you've never, you've never been happier. I'm curious. Why do you think that is? Why the happiness? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm an independent guy. I don't like being told what to do. So when That's you work familiar. for someone else, you are, you know, you're an employee. They're, they're paying you to do stuff that they tell you to do. So that's the nature of the relationship. Uh, I think that's sort of like the fundamental part that, that disagreed with my constitution. Um, mm-hmm. but my wife will, will agree that I don't like being told what to do. Um, She's the one who connected us. So shout out to Susie for, for connecting this. It's been yeah, a pleasure. Thank you, Susie. I'll, 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 I'll nudge her. She'll, she'll be your next guest. Hopefully. Sounds um, good. Yeah. We are a, we're a climate household. She runs the uh, sustainability department for Boulder County. Happy um, to know y'all. Yeah, you too. And uh, yeah, I mean, otherwise, you know, I'm just happy to be working on what I want to work on. I get to choose my own day, make my own schedule with COVID, with two children. Um, I, I, I have to be flexible and not feel stressed that, you know, today between the hours of, you know, two and six, I cannot be working. I've got to be out with my three-year-old. Um, and I've tried mm-hmm. to work with a three-year-old. You cannot do both things. You can't watch a three-year-old and be, you know, send emails that make sense, or at least I can. I'm not a multitasker. So, um, yeah. So just having that, that flexibility. And when, when, when I make a paycheck, um, it just, it's a better feeling because I know it was, it was, came from me um, and the work that I did. So um, yeah, I, I recommend self-employment to anyone. I don't think that uh, ultimately if you're an employee, you'll always be an employee and you'll always be making employee wages. And that can be great for a lot of people. Um, there's stability in that. There's uh, predictability in that, uh, depending on your stage in life and your risk tolerance, that's, that's excellent. Um, but I've got a higher risk tolerance and I think I've got sort of deeper goals of kind of the, the type of income I'd like to make. And I think the only way to do that is to become, uh, to become an owner, not, not an employee. So there, there's yeah. that. Little snippet, uh, little little cliff note from Rich Dad Poor Dad right there. Yeah, I love that. I love that book. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, that's really cool. I I think we covered covered a lot today. There's a lot to learn. I look forward to like going back through and listening to everything you said again because we all have so much to learn. But I think what you said, what you just said at the end here, and talking about how anyone can be like a climate entrepreneur, I think it's so fair. And I think if anyone's listening, like we really need your help, even if you're going to work part-time or do anything, whether it's volunteering or working on a side hustle that you, that it'll take you three years to get started on the side. And then you go into it full-time, whatever it may be. I fully support that. And as, as we've discussed, there's, there's such variety in what's going on. There's carbon sequestration, there's carbon capture, there's, there's uh, reducing, reduce, reuse, recycle, as we talked about in last week's episode, and there's all these different things. So Jeremy, I look forward to talking to you again on another episode. We can talk about some of the stuff you've been up to because um, yeah, like we're really just getting started, aren't we? Absolutely. The sky's the limit here. Again, this is a trillion dollar market that is yet to be tapped. So get in now. Um, if I can leave two, two words as a, as a piece of advice, just start. Just, just start doing something um, and that'll lead to potentially something else. You might go in a squiggly line for a while, but you got to start moving to get from A to B. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. And that's how I've ended up on, what is this? Episode 19. (laughs) 
so uh, Jer- Jeremy, it's been a real pleasure. And thank you so much for joining us this week. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me, Ethan. It's been fun. It really has been. All right, everyone. Take it easy. Thanks so much for listening to Changing the Climate, a podcast hosted by Climate Change Realty, the most innovative real estate corporation ever conceptualized. Visit ccrboulder.com today.